The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. In March, I was pastoring in Michigan at the beginning of the pandemic and the beginning of the quarantine. And I received a phone call from someone who I had talked to the phone uh, on a few previous occasions. We had talked previously about uh, relationship with God, what that would look like and how urgently important it is. But he called me in March during the quarantine to explain that he was now feeling with weight he had never felt before how short life can be and how long eternity is. And he said, Pastor Josh, we've talked before about how someone can be right with God, how they can know they're having eternity with the Lord. Would you be willing to talk with me about that again? I said, absolutely. And he said, can I come up to church tomorrow? I'll bring my wife and my kids. I'm concerned about them too. So he did. So I brought my assistant pastor with me, went upstairs to the auditorium in our church in Michigan. We sat on the front pews together. And he and his wife and his teenage children asked me many more questions about how can someone know they have eternal life? Who, who is Jesus exactly? How can we be made right with God? What confidence and assurance can we have that to leave this world is to eternally be with God in heaven for sure? So we sat with him. We answered those questions. And about an hour or so later, I had the great joy of listening to a husband, a father, and two teenage children through prayer ask Jesus Christ to save them. Now that happened because God in his wisdom had sent a pandemic that had motivated a family to realize their need to be eternally right with God. And this reminds us that God often counterintuitively uses things that seem that they would stop all the good things that God wants to do to actually accomplish the good things that God wants to do. That's why the title for this morning's sermon is Praise God for the Gospel's Advance. If you have the email with the notes, or if you're watching online, the YouTube link description will give you the notes. And you'll see the title. And you'll see two big points in red. Um, or if you're a note taker, you can write down, this is the first one. God often advances His gospel counterintuitively. God often advances His gospel counterintuitively. You're in Philippians chapter 1, Lord willing. Please look at God's Word with me. As Paul begins to make this point right away, look in Philippians 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. You know the theme of the book of Philippians is partnership in the Gospel, and you know the tip of that spear is partnership in the advance of the Gospel. This is what God has brought the church together to do. That's what He's brought us together to do. Paul is now letting us know God's advancing the Gospel in a way that we wouldn't have expected. Look again at the verse. Look more carefully this time. I want you to know He's writing so that they will be aware because sometimes we forget what God is doing and we need to be reminded. Notice he's referring to brothers, to Christians. Christians, we need to be reminded what God is doing. Now notice the next phrase, what has happened to me. Interesting verbiage, right? If you say that you did something, you're talking about your active responsibility. But if you say something happened to you, you mean something has occurred that is out of your control. Can anyone relate right now? 
Something happening that's out of my control. I feel stuck. I feel like this is not what I would have chosen. But when those things happen to us that feel out of our control that we would not have chosen, God is at work. And so the verse continues, what has happened to me has really, I love the descriptive really, contrary to our expectation, has actually advanced the gospel. How? Look in verse 13. This thing that happened to me that I didn't choose, that I didn't want, (laughs) is how God has made known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is saying, had this thing not happened to me, these people would not have heard the gospel. Had this thing not happened to me, I would not have had the opportunity to rejoice even in difficulty or trial. Both things are very important. So something has happened that has given new people an opportunity to hear and how a Christian behaves in that difficulty is important for new people to hear. Let me explain both to us by way of application. Listen, God sometimes brings us into situations that we would not have ever chosen because He's doing something good through us in the life of someone else. God brings us in situations we would never choose so that He can do something good in the life of someone else. But also, God brings us into situations we would never choose, situations out of our control, So that when we tell others how good of a Savior Jesus is, it carries more weight. You see, if you praise God when your life is miserable, then it shows how wonderful Jesus is. Do you remember what Paul did when he was in prison? With Barnabas? When he witnessed to the Philippian jailer? He was singing. This is the church of Philippi. This is the church planted by God using heartache and hardship so that people can praise His name in miserable circumstances to show how wonderful Jesus is. Let me say it more bluntly from a different angle. When life's wonderful and you say, hey, God is great, everyone's like, okay. When life's miserable and you say, God is great, it carries some weight. Paul here is in misery while being chained up and stuck saying how wonderful God is. Haven't you seen that in in other people? One of the things about being a pastor that is both difficult but wonderful is being in hospital rooms when many people breathe their final breath in this life. Sometimes I'm there with saints who I've known for years, people who've been Christians for a long time. And as I was working on this text, I thought of a woman that I knew who in her final months in the hospital was so amazingly joyful that everybody was asking her about the hope that lied within her. And in those final months, she was a greater witness in that hospital to people that otherwise would not have heard and heard more carefully because of the weight that she praised the Lord in such difficult misery. You see, God often brings us into situations that we would not choose so that He can show His greatness to others even when life is especially difficult. So let's make the connection in case you didn't make it already. Can the Gospel go forward when Paul's in chains? Can the Gospel go forward when we're in a quarantine? Yes. (laughs) 
Now, how exactly did God advance the gospel? Look again in verse 13. Here we read that the gospel has been advanced so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Notice those last two words. How did they hear that his imprisonment was for Christ? How did that become known? I think it became known because it had to be declared, and it was declared in a way where the situation was difficult. Meaning that this, that when we praise Christ when life is difficult, we indicate that even when life is hard, Christians can be happy. Even when life is difficult, Jesus is still joyful. And that helps people understand the gospel. Jesus said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And yet the psalmist can write, at your hand there are pleasures of joy, and at your hand there are pleasures forevermore. You see, salvation is both hard, but it's also happy. Salvation includes hardship, but it is transcended by ultimate joy. See, Paul was able to say, what has happened to me is actually for Christ. So those things are hard. Still, the believer can have joy. You see, the believers in Philippi might have thought, man, if Paul is locked up, how can the gospel be advanced? And we might think, if we have a stay-at-home order, how can the gospel be advanced? But see, even though Paul was in prison, the Holy Spirit cannot be chained. Even though we might be homebound, the gospel cannot be bound. The resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ cannot be defeated. And so here are my favorite verses in Philippians. Will you look, please, in chapter 4? I'm going to ask you to look at the very last three verses of the book. I love the way he ends this book. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is Philippians 4, verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Who are they? They're the guards that have been won to Christ. You see, the imperial guard who works for Caesar, they're now Christians too. So praise God, he gets to close his book by saying, the Christians greet you, even all the new ones who became Christians because I was imprisoned. I pray that we will have many stories for years to come of new believers who we get to say, I want you to meet this new believer who I got to meet because of this pandemic. Now, why does it surprise us that God advances the gospel through heartache and difficulty. I think it surprises us because we have a tendency, a dangerous sinful tendency, to think that the gospel advances based on our strength. Sometimes churches have brainstorming sessions. How can we uh, reach more people? How can we get the word out? How, How can we grow? And in the brainstorm sessions, sometimes the ideas sound a lot like things that make us strong. We'll start a softball team and we'll beat everybody in North Carolina and then they'll come to our church, right? (laughs) We'll hire nationally recognized musicians who can pack the place. We'll run the best and most efficient program in Wake County and then people will know we are the place to be. And in all of those scenarios, we get to boast in our strength. 
And yet, have you noticed that God really doesn't work that way? God tells Noah to build a boat when nobody has ever had a boat, so that Noah's weakness shows God's strength. God brings Moses and the Israelites to the edge of the Red Sea, where they have nowhere to look but up, so that he can part it and show God's strength. God tells Gideon, you have too many soldiers. Let me whittle them down so that you can learn to rely on my strength. God gets the youngest kid in Jesse's family, the one Jesse forgot he even had, so that he can, with a sling and a stone, beat the largest person the Philippians have to remind us that God gives the strength. God the Son is born in a manger and dies in weakness on a cross so that the Father can bring him in resurrected life to remind us of his strength. I could give more examples from Scripture, but Scripture says this explicitly, repeatedly. My favorite is Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman rises in vain. You see, victory comes from the Lord, not from our strength. Why? So that we can be reminded that the battle is the Lord's. You see, if our best softball team caused our church to grow, then we might have a banner up of our MVP's ERA. (laughs) If our nationally recognized musicians pack the place, then the Grammy award-winning guitar solo would get all the glory. If our best and efficient program in Wake County gave us notoriety for our excellence, then the brains and donors behind that operation would receive the glory. But... God's strength is actually what gives gospel growth so that the glory belongs to Him. Paul knew this well. In 1 Corinthians 1.13, he wrote, let him who boasts, boast only in the Lord. Galatians 6.14, I will boast only in the cross. After learning of his weakness, he wrote 2 Corinthians 12.9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And he reminds us in 1 Corinthians 4.7, what do you have that you did not receive? You see, we forget weakness is the way forward because we have a tendency to look at our own strength. But Paul reminds us in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, what happened to me, that was my weakness, that's how God advanced the gospel. He says that to them as a paradigm because the Philippians too will face persecution from the same Roman guards. God encourages them through Paul to see hardship as an opportunity for God's power. And in fact, many of them do. Look in verse 14. Back to Philippians 1, please. Philippians 1, verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord. How did they become confident in the Lord? Because Paul's heartache is still somehow counterintuitively advancing the gospel. And if God can do that through a guy chained up, he can do that through me. So they become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Notice the result. Verse 14, and they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Notice those two phrases, confident in the Lord, bold to speak the word without fear. Perhaps you've noticed that the cultural tides are turning 
And it's become harder and harder for Christians to speak the word without fear. Many times we're told that we're not allowed to say anything that might disagree with anyone. If we do so, we're told that's wrong or that it's hateful speech or that it's a aggression that's inappropriate. Now, surely it matters how we speak. Colossians 4 says our speech needs to be seasoned with salt and that it needs to give grace to the hearer. And there is no doubt that there are some people who speak truth, but they speak it wrong-mannered, caustically, aggressive sales pitch sort of version, beating people over the head. That's bad. Christians should not speak that way. We must speak lovingly and graciously, but we must not be afraid to speak the truth in love. Because the truth that's needed is the truth that saves even if culture doesn't like it. So here Paul says they've become more confident, much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Christians, we need to speak kindly and graciously and considerately, but we must not fear cultural peer pressure to the extent that we no longer speak the gospel. The gospel is still the power of God to save even if culture doesn't like it anymore. So speak it kindly, but speak it. Now in verses 15 through 18, Paul is sharing a third way in which the gospel has been advanced counterintuitively. It's been advanced counterintuitively because Paul's in prison and yet it's going forward. It's been counterintuitive because Paul's in prison and yet other people are preaching who are Christians. But now the third one's kind of weird. The gospel gets advanced ironically from people who have sinful competitive motives at times. We'll see this in verses 15 through 18. We'll start with verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Very odd. We'll pause on that. But others from goodwill. And now he'll do it in reverse order. So first, the goodwill, verse 16. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul's point here is that sometimes... When Christians see another Christian suffering persecution because of their proclamation of the gospel, it actually helps them come to their side. In history, this happened on January 8th, 1956, when Jim Elliott and five other Christian missionaries were killed. Life magazine ran a 10-page story that year about how these missionaries were, were killed for sharing the gospel in Ecuador, and what God did through that was he raised up more American missionaries than had ever happened before or since. Sometimes verse 16 happens in our life. When we know a Christian who's going through a hard thing, but yet they still courageously share the truth in love, it galvanizes us. But now the weird one is verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Who in the world would preach the gospel to get back at someone else. Well, the strange thing is there are people who do that. Verse 17 gives us some clarity as to what they're like. Some people preach, they do preach Christ. Don't miss that. They do preach the right thing, but for the wrong reason. Notice selfish ambition, not sincere. And thirdly, this one's the more personal schadenfreude sort of jab here, to afflict me. That's a very strong verse, and it's, it's important that we don't misunderstand it. Paul is not saying that he won't correct wrong content, right? I mean, if you read Galatians, so if you preach the wrong content, he will 
correct you. Or if you have the wrong conduct, if you don't live in a way that fits the gospel, he'll correct you. Read 1 Corinthians. But if you preach the true message, but from sinful motives, Paul's going to let God deal with you. See, this verse actually, if I can just tell you candidly, it really sticks me as, as, as a pastor. There are people I've gone to school with who I know well, <laughs> and they may have a large platform to preach Christ, but I know them and they don't preach Christ for sincere motives. They preach Christ for a larger platform or for a chance to compete with other ministers and have a broader realm of notoriety. And that used to cause me to scratch my head and say, Lord, what are you doing? And then I remembered, well, God advances the gospel often counterintuitively, and he'll lay every motivation bare at the great day of judgment. This text reminds us that God does advance his gospel, and even if people preach it in sinful motivations, trust the Lord and do what verse 18 tells us. What then? Only in every way. Whether someone's preaching in pretense, they're actually a phony, but they're preaching the true gospel, or in truth, if Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. May God help me to do that more. If God does advance the true message, then let me trust Him that He will carry it out for His glory. So Christians can and must rejoice that God advances the gospel counterintuitively. Now, is this text as simple as either being an optimist or a pessimist? No, I think it's much deeper than that. There are some theological truths that Paul knows that enables him to trust God. Here's what Paul knows. God is sovereign. These are all things that he's ordained from eternity past. Second, God is good. And third, God will wisely save people, even if it's counterintuitive from our standpoint. This text reminds us that God advances the gospel counterintuitively. But now number two on your handout. God calls Christians to share in advancing His saving gospel, which puts our life and death in proper perspective. Now, let's continue verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. Now, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I love the the balance Paul has here. I have confidence that as you pray, God will deliver me from my imprisonment. But now notice verse 20 as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. But, so even if I don't get out, with full courage, now as always, even now in any circumstance, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. How can he say that? Because if you believe that the gospel has secured you eternally, And if you believe that the gospel is the mission God has called you to, then whether I live or whether I die, if I die, then I'm with Christ. The gospel is fulfilled. And if I live, I get to proclaim Christ. I get to share in the mission. So now, verse 21 through 22, life provides opportunity to serve Christ. For me to live is Christ. Remember, shorthand for the gospel. And to die is gain. Now, Paul is not referring to suicide, nor does he, in a kamikaze, casual way, court death. We know he doesn't. At times, when he was arrested, he was not ashamed to appeal to his Roman citizenship. So Paul's not looking to die. He doesn't have a death wish. 
But his point is one that Christians do well to remember. Remember, Christian, however bad this world could ever be, when we leave this one, it's gain. To die is far better because we will be with our Lord. Sometimes we live as if this earth is heaven. Praise God it's not. Heaven is infinitely better than anything this earth has. So Paul can with assurance say to die is gain. But if I live, verse 22, well, that means fruitful labor. And which one I shall choose, I cannot tell. Now, number two, death means being with Christ. So verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So if God wills for me to live, He has work for me to do. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why does God want me to live? For your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So praise God that God advances the gospel, even counterintuitively. Praise God that whatever He ordains still is an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. And praise God, if you know Christ, you get to proclaim Christ in this life. This means then that the greatest hindrance to the gospel is not our circumstances. It is not our resources. It is not our location. The greatest hindrance to the gospel is when we forget God's power. See, with faith and obedience, God can advance the gospel in any circumstance. Tom Rayner used to run Lifeway and served as a pastor, and he's done research on churches all over the country. And he wrote an article in 2014... Seven factors hindering evangelism in churches today. I'm going to read his seven, and they may have some applicability to us to remind us of how God can actually advance the gospel. Here's his seven. Number one, churches that aren't advancing the gospel, number one, have no priority of evangelism. That's the obvious one. But they don't talk about and remind us how important evangelism is. Number two, many lay people in churches and these are Rainer's words, may falsely believe that that's what we pay the pastors and staff to do. Now, we talked about that last Sunday. Number three, many churches have an excuse mentality. Well, the culture has changed. The neighborhood has changed. People don't need God anymore. Our methods don't work anymore. And let's be honest, sometimes we say those things because we feel like our pride is wounded and we feel like, why aren't things happening? But remember, God can advance the gospel even counterintuitively. Number four, too many churches do not connect prayer with evangelism. We go forward in our own strength rather than on our knees. When we get organization, we get what organization can do. When we get programs, we get what programs can do. But when we get prayer, we get what God can do. So let me ask you a heart check question for all of us. If God answered in the affirmative every prayer you prayed in the last month, would anyone be saved? This is how God advances His gospel through His people praying. Number five, too many Christians fail to be compassionate and Christ-like to others. Surely this can be a challenge as well. It's not just the message, it's the way we carry it out as well. 
Number six, most church ministries are not intentionally evangelistic. Sometimes as a church, we start to, over time, move our resources to us internally and forget the external opportunity and mission field. Number seven, some churches are concerned that if they get new members, it'll change their church too much. That can be a reason we can fear to be evangelistic as well. But part of the reason we struggle to trust God in advancing the gospel is because we still think according to human wisdom. For a while, I had the, the joy of being a manager at Target, which was a very fun job, and I loved a lot of it. The one downside is it gave an extra discount for my wife to use when she went shopping. <laughs> but I remember the executive meetings we would have at Target. We'd all come together, and we'd get in the room, and we would talk about ways we can evaluate our marketing to help more people be convinced that they need to buy what we're selling, even though they, they probably don't. Then we would evaluate our products. We would see what sells and what doesn't sell. And we would decide to only keep what makes the best profit margin. Now, my time managing a target really did not help me as a pastor. <laughs> when I became a pastor, there was a couple years in ministry where there was a lot of effort and prayer and there was no visible fruit. And everything I had learned in secular business was, hey, it's time to change the product. But then, if you'll allow the crude analogy, if the gospel is our product, I can't change it. <laughs> and so I had to search the scriptures in those years. And here's what I learned. If you'll allow the analogy, thinking of the gospel as the product, if you will, of the church, then in that case, we have a product that scripture tells us no one wants. Romans 3, verse 10, no one seeks after God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, to the man without the Spirit, the Word of God is foolishness. Try selling that. <laughs> I also learned that according to Scripture, we have a product that we have to deliver within certain parameters. God cares how you share the product. You have to do so with integrity and honesty, not manipulatively. So everything I learned in advertising, I had to throw out. <laughs> then number three, we have a bottom line that we cannot secure. When I worked for Target, you can always tell if you've had a good year. If you have more black or more red. But when you share the gospel, it's a little bit more difficult to track. But here's the good news I learned. We have a product, we have the gospel, and everyone needs it. Everyone. We have a product that we don't have to sling according to our sales pitch ability. God promises to be with us till the end of the age and to empower it. We have a product that I don't have to approve with my executive or my earthly boss. We have a heavenly Lord who knows the end from the beginning and He ordains the success of His Word. And here's my favorite part of what we have. At Target, if we were selling something and there was a Target market that wouldn't buy it, we had to give up and move on to a new demographic. But here's the great news of the gospel. The most apparently impossible resistors of the gospel, God saves. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. And God saved me as a pattern to all who would come to faith. Listen, there is no one in this community who God cannot save. No one. There's no one who's too wealthy, too educated, too far removed, 
from the Word of God that God cannot immediately turn the light bulb on. The same God who said, let there be light, is the same God who shines the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in our hearts so that we believe. Now, the experience I had in business probably did have some helpful things that I could carry over. And those of you who've spent years running a a business, I commend the Christian principles that maybe gave you good experience in business. But let's be honest. There are some cautions to those of us who've worked in the business field. Because if we bring that same mindset over to the gospel and to the church, there are some wide differences, aren't there? You see, secular business advances by human intuition. But God advances His gospel counterintuitively. In fact, the time where He made that most clear was the very heart of the gospel. Do you remember it? Jesus is hanging on the cross, God the Son, the King of kings, and Lord of Lords, hanging there without clothes on, with blood streaming down His face, in apparent defeat for our sin. The sky is pitch black. The disciples have deserted. In fact, Jesus cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that very night, when it looks like this plan is going to accomplish nothing, Jesus cries out, It is finished. And then three days later, he resurrects. When things look hopeless, that's when God counterintuitively advances the gospel. Emmanuel Baptist Church, though there is a COVID-19 pandemic, God still saves. If you're here today and you feel like your life is hopeless and you feel stuck and you've tried all the wisdom of this world, God's wisdom is greater. It may seem counterintuitive, But if you turn to Christ today, He will save you and change you and accomplish what nothing else could offer for you. God does not work according to the wisdom of this world. God does not work according to the power of this world. And praise God, He's infinitely better. Let's close in prayer this morning. God, I thank You that You counterintuitively accomplish powerful and mighty things so that You receive the glory Lord, I thank You that we are saved by faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that no human can boast. So Lord, I pray today that if we are saved, we would remember that You are the One who saved us. And so may we boast only in the cross. May we, like Paul, be able to say, hey, what happened to me actually happened to advance the Gospel. What's happened to our country, what's happened to our state, what's happened in our homes, what's happened in our workplaces is an opportunity for your power to do what we could never do. So bring us to our knees. Help us to find strength that is God's. May we pray with confidence. May we speak with more boldness. May we remember that you sent your son to die in apparent weakness so that the strength of God could be displayed in resurrection. Maybe someone today needs to know that power in new life. Maybe they've tried a bunch of stuff to turn their life around. Maybe they've seen a bunch of people and gotten a lot of counsel, and it hasn't gotten better. Help them to realize there is a great physician, and He will save them through a single touch as they turn to Him in a prayer of faith. Lord, we pray that You would do that today. And we pray that you would do that in the months and years ahead in this community. In your name we pray. Amen.
You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's ebcraleigh.com.